look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. How about you? I'm doing well. We've got a really good show today. Um, here's something that I thought was pretty interesting. Okay. Did you know it might be better to rent than own? Well, we've been debating this for a long time, haven't we? We have a really good argument about this, and it's going to be about some numbers. Uh, does it make sense? We talked about this a, a couple months ago, where if you had... A, an average property price in Calgary over the last 17 years hasn't gone up in value. Right. It went up and then came back down. Right. So it's the same value as it was 17 years ago. Right. When that kind of stuff happens in someone's life, you kind of go over, well, I could have rented, invested the difference, and done a better job. So it's, it speaks to the idea, is your principal residence a lifestyle or an investment, like a lifestyle choice or an investment? And we actually have an actuary. That's going to speak about the numbers. Yeah, let's cool. talk very about the cool. numbers. Huh? Let's talk about the numbers. It's you going bet. to be very important on that one. All right. And then there was a case recently in Ontario that's uh, shaken the pillars of heaven a little bit in the uh, state planning <laughs> world, but um, by by changing a designation, uh, a beneficiary designation. People put designation of beneficiary on their retirement savings accounts. Yeah. And that person may not be able to one getting the money. That's right. You know, your intent may not be honored by the court. Exactly. And right. so that's where the issue is going to come up. I think this is going to be a great show uh, when we talk about two important uh, matters there. Yeah. Um, this week, um, happy belated American Thanksgiving, by yeah. the way. I'm not American, but okay. Well, you act like one once in a while. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but it sounded good in my head. You act like... Anyways, the the interesting part about this is that we saw some excitement in the first day and then the rest of the week... Yeah. Well, so, yeah. yeah, you know, we were talking before before the show because we often do a recap of the week and, you know, what was exciting in your conversations with clients and people, what are they thinking about? And you know what? There wasn't much. It was, and it was a quiet week. I mean, Thanksgiving, the fact that the American markets are closed, they were closed on Thursday, closed, you know, by noon on Friday, not a lot of volume. He, here's what's come up quite a bit locally. Mm -hmm. We just have now been announced from the from the premier that there is a partial lockdown. Yep. Um, kids are going to some kids are going to school. Some kids are staying home. Restaurants you have to be with your own cohort, your yep. own family. More no social gatherings, so on and so forth. The impact of this, mm -hmm. of course, from an economic perspective, is there. The impact of this for the individual is going to be interesting as well. I was in a conversation with a few uh, of our clients who basically said, winter is coming. I want to leave. I don't know if I can. Right. So now I'm having a different view of my retirement. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And so I said, do not expect the pandemic to last forever. So it's going to have an impact today. Yeah. Dave, you know I like to go away. Every Christmas, I, I don't stay in Calgary. I go away. I go mm -hmm. where somewhere hot. This is going to be the first year in 15 years that I, I'm going to be home, most yep. likely. If I can get away, I will. People yep. are telling me about the benefits of going to Hawaii with this yep. rapid testing yep. and stuff like that. But these are impacts. Yep. These are impacts on your own psyche, mm -hmm. which will then dictate how you look at your future. And so people are, are, are worried, 
should I sell my property in the U.S.? I'm a snowbird. I own property in Arizona, for example. I should just sell it. We're never going down there. Well, I've had lots of people actually do that. Like yeah. last year, there was a lot of people. Early that was in last year. year, though. Yeah. That wasn't pandemic reasons. No, but there was I, there was a number that I could think of right now that, as a result of the pandemic, okay, have actually sold their properties. You, you said it was last year. The pandemic happened earlier this year. Yeah. This year. See how see how long this yeah. pandemic has been. Yeah. We can't even remember what year. It yeah, was. yeah, yeah. And that's how people are feeling. Yeah. And so they're reacting to a lifestyle asset like yep. like a recreational yep. property, to their spending habits, to what they're going to be doing because of the pandemic. And what I've found very interesting is there are people who've um, revolved their entire retirement based on an activity called traveling or doing things that they don't they can't do in their own domestic location. And now that they're isolating it's making it difficult for them. Yeah. Well, it's change, right? And change is difficult, and we can't do what we want to do. But I think you make a couple of good points, right, in the conversation. It is temporary, and I don't mean to be dismissive to anybody whose family's been really impacted through Correct. a passing of a family member. That is clearly not temporary. Um, but from uh, from a lifestyle perspective, we know that there are, there are medications, treatments uh, on the way, right? So yeah. it is. I think it is reasonable to assume that life will change again six months from now, right, as these treatments and vaccines get into the system. Now, I can't say exactly what that change looks like, but it probably doesn't look like what it is today. I also think that once we get to somewhat a more normal type of life, mm -hmm. we might see an opposite reaction of, I better buy that property because I don't know how long this is going to last. Right. and I gotta. So we're seeing extreme viewpoints on small time frame that can have drastic impact in someone's financial situation. Right. Selling a property... And changing your lifestyle because of the pandemic, it could be as bad of a decision as buying a property right. after the pandemic because you don't know if another pandemic is going to happen. So you might as well enjoy it now. Right. These are the kind of things of impacts that people have that swing on the emotional pendulum that we need to address in the money side of things or right. in, their, in their financial situation. And I'm glad this week was after after what the premier announced, that there was nothing crazy in the markets because that would have been a double negative to some people should the markets have fallen right before Thanksgiving. And then we start seeing that we're on a partial lockdown. So I'm glad at least one thing was off the table for for Albertans when it came to this change. It's it's a significant change for people who've been isolated the whole time. You know, and, and there's a broader, I think what you've you've touched on there is the micro uh, the micro impact that we see on a macro basis too. Because remember, Whatever you're feeling as an individual yeah. and whatever decisions you're making, often that, you know, you're not alone. One of the things I talked about on um, one of my, the radio reports on Friday morning was this idea of consumer behavior. And so what, what I said was, um, I, th I like to think about the things that Maddie and I buy as a family, yeah. right? And the basket of things that we buy is, in my opinion, pretty typical of most people across North America. And so, you know, this week we got some new skates for the kids and for Maddie. Yeah. And we were looking at uh, snowshoes, just as an example, okay? Yeah. Well, I think about that. Hmm. I wonder how many other people are doing that. Is there a trend here, right? Yeah. So often the micro, and of course there is a trend, right? You can't get snowshoes anywhere. Skates are getting sold out everywhere. Yeah. Cross-country skis, because we all want to be outside and do these things. So those micro decisions that we're making are often reflected on a macro basis. Mm-hmm. And you can see that uh, behavior in the markets as well, right? So I think we have to remember that markets can be a collective. Yep. And sometimes they can be impatient. Sometimes they can be scared. Sometimes they can be euphoric. 
right? And you need and you need to consider that um, as we're working over a strategy that might be thirty five years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we don't want to get trapped into those. Now, the, the the market activity this week is interesting only in that we clearly see the the virus getting worse. Did we just have a massive super spreader event in the United States called Thanksgiving holiday? A week or two, we're going to know that, right? Yep. Plenty of evidence that, that Americans were on the move. But offsetting that, of course, is the light at the end of the tunnel. We do have vaccinations coming. You could see Americans for uh, well, high probability we'll see Americans getting vaccinated by the end of December sometime in there. Canada, maybe some of the Americans. Maybe, yeah, not, yeah. Let's not assume the but entire population. Start, no, or, no, no. But and, starting, it's right? starting, and so that's that's a that's a positive trend. It's a game changer, and I want to kind of just emphasize what's happening at home mm-hmm. is not happening around the world. Correct. What's happening in the stock market is not what's happening in the in the economy. Right. So there is nothing you can look at that says it, what's happening at home and what's happening in the markets and what's happening in the global economy are all going to be the same. Rarely does that happen. Yeah, that's a good point. And let's separate those 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 items because that's where confusion comes into play, right? When people say we're all under lockdown here, right. Premier Kenny said we have to stay home, but the stock market keeps on going up. Well, right. the stock market doesn't give a you know what about Premier Kenny. Well, the and- stock market in general worries about the economics and the f- potential future value of those companies. Right. Full stop. Right. Not Premier Kenny. Not a lockdown in Alberta not testing on COVID for, for what's happening in AHS. Right. It's so, so different, but we, we personalize everything around us during this time. So I just want to kind of make that point that it's not all the same. Yeah, no, I, I think you make a good point. Okay, um, let's remind everybody that, that we have to get through the short periods. We have to plan for the long periods. We, you know, got to play defense sometimes. Yeah. We have to play offense sometimes. We have to do all of those things. How and do we it's do basically it? building freedom for your future. Correct. If you want to spend more, not want to spend more, those types of opportunities, you want to bulletproof your retirement. And we're going to have our seminar on that on Tuesday, December 8th, 7 p.m., live online. Now you need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Financially, should you own your own home or should you rent? Let's figure it out after the break. You're on 770 CHQR in More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. So, Faisal, the dream of home ownership. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's sort of in everybody's plan, right? They want to... It, it's, it's been set up so that this is part of our success. I think it's ingrained in us that you have to own your own home. Should we challenge that notion? And I've been trying to challenge this for years now, you my friend. Been. I think I think um, we as a society have said home ownership is a is a good idea, and there right. has some merits to it. But we haven't explored the other side of of just renting, right? And so I'm glad that in we had saw an article mm-hmm. from our guest mm-hmm. talking about this one topic that maybe in people's retirement, right, it might be better to rent than own. Oh, that's going to be controversial. Let's okay, do it. We've, we've got Frederick Batiste here. He's an actuary and author of Retirement Income for Life. Uh, Fred, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for ha- having me back. It's been a while. We, uh, we're glad you could join us. Uh, love the article, and, and I think it'll come as a surprise to people even asking the question, should you own your own home in retirement or should you be renting? Why don't you give us a little well, background? You know it, 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 came, it came even as a surprise to me, actually. I mean, yeah. I... Uh, I, 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 was, I was doing the research for uh, for a fourth book, as a matter of fact, and I had to look into house prices. And I figured since I had all that data 
and it was hard to put together all that data, I thought I may as well just ask the question without knowing what the answer was going to be. Well, I love it. So let's, uh, let's go through. So you collected the data, and, um, and you put it together. What's the high level? And then we can get into some of the details. Is it better to own okay. a rent? Okay. So what, what, what I did with the data was I looked at 30-year periods. So either you, at the beginning of the 30-year period, you, you decided to, um, to buy a house and make mortgage payments and so on, or you decided to rent. Mm-hmm. And if you rented, then whatever the difference was between the mortgage payments and the rent, you put that money into, uh, into an RRSP. Okay. So it was equivalent in terms of cash flow. So I looked at that at the end of each 30-year period. And, um, I, and, and what, I, uh, what I found was that um, for periods after 2009 or so, um, you would have actually been better off um, uh, renting as opposed to, to buying a house, which came as a real surprise to me because we all know it's been a, a crazy hot stock um, housing market, I should say, for the past 10 years. And I would have thought that any, uh, any 30-year period ending after 2009, it would show that you'd be better off uh, renting. I'm sorry, better off buying, but in actual fact, you weren't. You were better off renting. So when you took these 30-year chunks, sorry, were they rolling 30-year periods you were looking at? Rolling, uh, rolling 30-year periods. So, for example, really? I'd look at the period from, uh, from say, 1990 until yeah. 2019 and uh, take, take our renter and our buyer through the, through the whole period and see where, where each one of them was at the end of the period in terms of, uh, of their, their wealth, you know, how much money they'd been able to amass or what the value of their house was at that, at that point in time. Now, Fred, one rule of real estate ownership is location, location, location. We look at in the last 30 years, you look at Toronto, Mm -hmm. Vancouver, and you compare that to other parts of of the country. Are we saying, is it a rule across the country or are there there exceptions to that rule? Yeah, uh, there are some slight exceptions. So, um, and I I did make that qualification in my article. I I indicated that I'd... uh, I taken the data which showed uh, an average of Canadian cities, so it would have included other cities, including, say, uh, uh, Calgary. And um, and that average, um, the real increase in house prices over the last 20 years from that average would have been uh, 4.2% per year. That's real increase after inflation, which is actually pretty hefty. By comparison with New York City, which everyone thinks is being a pretty hot market, the real increase uh, is, was only 1.9% per year. So that's a pretty huge difference. Now, getting back to your question, if you look at Toronto over that 20-year period, the real increase was 4.6. So you would have said, well, maybe Toronto would have been different. You would have been better off uh, owning as opposed to renting in Toronto. But uh, it's not that different, 4.2 versus 4.6. So you came to a conclusion, at least how I read it in the article, was a 5% rule. Uh, and, and kind of walk us through what that, yeah. why that 5% is so important to help you make a decision of rent versus owning. Okay. Well, what I had to do was uh, I had to assume that the renter had had equivalent uh, accommodation, equivalent dwelling over those 30-year periods. Otherwise, it's not really a fair comparison. So I figured, well, how, how do I figure out what, what is fair? And when I looked at the data, I found that how much money we pay for, uh, to rent a place um, has changed over time. Um, so it would have been at one time that uh, the equivalent rent you would have had to pay, this is back in the 1980s, might have been 7% of the price. That would be the annual amount of rent. 7% of the price of the home you bought here, you would have bought. Whereas uh, today, it's more like 4 or 4.5%. So in, in other words, uh, prices of houses have gone so high, the rents haven't kept up. So prices of houses, as I was indicating, have gone up faster than inflation, and rents have gone, have gone up more closer to inflation. And so as a result, we're only, uh, we're only currently paying 4 or 4.5% um, 
uh, of a house price is as annual rent on a place. So if I use or a 5% rule just to make it easier for the math because it's a, it's a weekend and I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I want to use my, my skills on the weekend. <laughs> so $500,000 property average value in Canada, if the rent is less than $25,000 yeah. a year, yeah. what do you okay. do? Call it, call it a couple of thousand dollars a month. Yeah, if the rent is less than a couple of thousand dollars a month on that, on that kind of a property, then you might be better off um, re- renting, assuming it's going to stay less for the whole period, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is and, correct. And yeah. so let's let's take a uh, we've got about a, a couple of minutes left. If you look at your sp- position today, let's say okay, Dave's a homeowner, he has his property, he notices that the rent of an equivalent property is less than five percent. Do you sell and go rent, or do you stick where you're at? I love that. You side. know, what? I'm I'm a I'm a pretty cautious I'm a pretty cautious guy. I'm an actuary, right? So I probably wouldn't <laughs> sell because what I would take into account is, yeah, if I knew for a fact that it was going to stay below five percent or even below four and a half percent where it is now, I I would I would uh, think about renting. Except you're not going to be able to find you know equivalent accommodation. It's not always just about the money. But if you want to make it just about the money, and if you knew that the rent was going to stay that low, then I would say yes, you would sell and you would you would rent instead. Um, there's a bigger choice when you're looking at buying versus selling, and that's one of the things that people take into account. And people always feel more comfortable, um, uh, you know, owning as opposed to renting. And I so- showed in my in my article, I showed a chart, and I showed that in certain periods. I mean, if you guessed wrong, like say uh, uh, the periods when homeowning was better than renting, it was much better than renting. So, um, yes, it's been better ever since 2009, but I can't say it's going to be better forever. Dave, this is the first time I've heard an actuary tell us it's more than just the numbers. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. That's and that's why this show's called More Than Money, because yeah, it's more right. than just the money. Right. It's, it's about <laughs> a bigger decisions than just that. It, it's not always a financial decision that we have to rely on. Fred, I think we have to leave it there. Thank you for debunking that. I love, I love this conversation, and um, thank you again for all the work that you continue to do. Oh, you're great. Welcome, and I enjoyed that. Thank you, guys. We've been joined by Frederick Matisse. He's an actuary, and he's also an, uh, well, an author of multiple books uh, on um, retirement income for life, and he's got a new book coming out soon. Faisal, I, you know, we've debated this uh, often, right? And, and I, you picked up on exactly the point, because you and I debate the math might be one thing, yep. but, but I always contend that your home, your personal residence is not an investment. We hear that all the time. Correct. It's a lifestyle choice. Correct. Right? And I think we just had an actuary, maybe, maybe? Confirm that? I think he just did. (laughs) I think he did. I think he just did. It's official now. When the actuaries are on board, it's official. It's official. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we got to talk about lifestyle, and we got to talk about that at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, it is more than just the money. It's there's a whole bunch of issues when you transition to or live in retirement. How do you bulletproof that income for the rest of your life? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, December eighth, seven p.m. live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, uh, stick around after the break. We're going to talk about how to make sure the people that you want to receive your estate gift actually get it. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You know, certainly a part of the, the wealth planning process um, is, is gifting, right? Is ensuring that you've thought through what's going to be left behind, yep. um, how that gift is going to be distributed, who's going to receive it. All of those things that we talk about, our legacy bucket. Yeah, right? and many Canadians have registered retirement yep. savings plans. At some point, they turn into registered retirement income funds. Yep. 
And most Canadians know that you can designate a beneficiary on these registered in assets, which then bypasses the estate and goes to the beneficiary. Right. However, mm-hmm. we came across a recent court decision that cast doubt over the beneficiary designation. Right. So is your beneficiary really your beneficiary? And do you have control over de- and, and controlling who that is going to be, right? Through the specification of that Correct. designation. Now, yeah. uh, I, took a, I took a law class once. Uh-huh. And that's as far as I got. So we should bring a lawyer on here to talk about the real issues. I was looking forward to your interpretation yeah, of it. My Come interpretation on. is I know enough to know that I don't know enough. <laughs> that we should find out. That right? we should find out, though. <laughs> and we've got Susanna Popovic-Montag, who is managing partner of Hull and Hull LLP, joining us today. Susanna, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Okay, so we're kind of having a bit of fun with what's, uh, what's a pretty serious topic here. Um, so I'd like you, if you could, in, uh, just very quickly, to give us just a bit of background about uh, the court case that has cast some doubt over these designa- beneficiary designations. Sure, happy to. The Kalamuski decision was a 2020 decision that came out in March of this year of the Ontario Superior Court, where we as the state planners and litigators were a little bit shaken up with the results. What we had here was a, um, a gentleman who passed away. He had two children and he had some joint assets, and he had a RIF. Mm-hmm. And he had put the, the assets held jointly with one of his children, and the RIF, he had designated that same child as the beneficiary of that uh, instrument. And then when he passed away, the other child, perhaps not surprisingly, decided to challenge those designations and that joint asset. And what the, has happened here, we had had a pretty long history of understanding how the law of joint assets worked based on a previous Supreme Court of Canada decision. And there was this um, presumption that when an asset is held jointly with a parent and an adult child for no consideration, then it's going to come back or revert back to the estate. So it doesn't pass by right of survivorship, but it belongs to the estate. But we had always treated designated beneficiaries and those designations in a very different fashion, where if somebody was designated a beneficiary of a RIF or a life insurance policy, then that person would be entitled to those funds, and they would not come back to the estate on on death. And in this decision, the court actually found that a RIF with a designated beneficiary was still going to come back and be, be part of the estate. Okay. Um, that's scary. Well, it's I can see why you're shaking <laughs> about that. That's scary right? because yeah. here's the thing. I've got two girls. Mm-hmm. And let's say from a strategy and a tax perspective, I wanted to leave my life insurance policy to one child, my registered assets to another child or whatever. They can challenge this. Yeah. Something can go, can go haywire now. So let's talk about that, right? So... I'm interested, Susanna, this notion of the challenge. And so anything can be challenged at any time. I think you're, you, you know, you're, the, the pillars of the foundation here are shaken a little bit in that it was the estate's property and not the, uh, the, the, in, the intent of the, the person receiving the beneficiary. So how do you protect against a challenge? If this was okay. truly your intent, how, uh, can we protect uh, how we want to give that gift in this particular case, given the decision? Well, I think that's what we're all kind of scrambling to figure out here because it is such a blow to the way we've always planned things. 
And, you know, suddenly having things that were passing outside of the estate come back into the estate was a shock. And so the best way really is to document the intentions. I think it's it's just so important that, you know, whenever we have an ambiguity or a mistake or something, the courts are going to look to what was actually intended. And so we're going to need evidence of that. We're going to need, you know, the... um, the actual wishes of what they were and what was intended there so that when it comes time to support that argument, it's available. I have talked to so many lawyers and they all say, document your intentions. Right. Where do you document your intentions? Is it in a will? Is it on a separate note? Do I do a video and leave it for my beneficiary? Like, how, how do you document your intentions? That's a great question. I mean, we always start firstly with the wording of the will. You know, is it specifically going to address a particular situation? And, you know, if there are joint accounts or, or registered assets, are they spoken to in the will? And if so, to what extent? If they're not, and we're just looking to someone's evidence, their, their intention evidence, then we're going to want to make sure it is corroborated. Because as you point out, if, if it isn't written down somewhere or supported somehow, it's only going to be viewed as impartial uh, evidence. And, or sorry, partial evidence. And so we're looking at having these things written down in, in documents that are doing We've done a lot of deeds of gift here in our jurisdiction where you're specifically saying that this is what you intend and you really mean it. And we also look to the evidence of others, like you know the lawyers, the financial planners, third parties who aren't interested in the actual fight but can provide that corroborative evidence because otherwise we won't be able to prove what was intended. Suzanne, this is a case that's happening in Ontario. Should people in Alberta be worried about this or is it just an Ontario issue? I think it's we're going to see more and more of this across different jurisdictions. And I believe, in fact, that there was a decision very similar in Alberta and one in Manitoba. And so even though, you know, from our perspective, we'd like to think that it's an outlier decision, I believe we're going to see a trend towards more of these kinds of decisions being made. And we won't really know how effective or how much of a precedential value they'll have until a higher court addresses them. But Mm -hmm. in the meantime, we don't want to be that test case. So we're doing the best we can to try to scramble around. So I'll walk you through what a typical Canadian goes through when they when they purchase or invest in a registered retirement savings plan or have money in a retirement income fund. They sit down at their financial institution with their advisor. They make their deposit. They've been investing in whatever they're investing in. And one of the questions that are asked in the the application form of that, that account is, who's your beneficiary? And they write down the name. Nowhere is there a conversation or a document that's given to the investor or the person owning the registered savings plan about the intentions of the beneficiary? Nowhere in those documents or generally in the conversation Mm -hmm. with the client does the advisor say, is this your true intention? What should the financial institutions and more importantly, financial advisors, people like in positions like Dave and myself, what kind of conversation do we need to have with our clients to better understand the intention? So something like this doesn't happen to our clients. And I think that's the key. I mean, we really do need to have these conversations because even if something as simple as a joint bank account, you go to the bank, you sign it, and they, they never talk about, you know, the fact that it may not pass automatically by right of survivorship. And so I think these conversations need to be had. I think they, that, you know, advisors need to document them so that there is going to be this evidence that is contemporaneous and available at the end of the day. And we need to let our family members know what our intentions are. You know, that dialogue, I think, is very important. And, and you know, letting people know what you really want 
while you still can, I think, is the key. Yeah, document, document, document. Suzanne, I don't think we can say that enough, and it's not, I, in my opinion, it's not getting easier. It's only going to get uh, more complicated going forward. I think we're going to watch this case with some interest to see if it's got legs, say, in, uh, in the appeals court, if it makes it through, and how this might trickle through across the rest of the country. Might even to... go up to the Supreme Court. Yeah, that's right. Could go to the Supreme could it, Court. Could it? Because, well, Suzanne, it can go to the Supreme Court, right? It could. Uh, very few cases tend to typically, but yeah. if it becomes something that a court views as of national importance, it's possible. Yeah. Otherwise, we might see our legislation have to change because of this decision, but I think time will tell. And I'm interested what the tax implications are now. Mm. If the courts say this is not the, it's not your spouse's, it's your child's or the intention changes, right. there's a tax implication potentially on this, on the estate and who actually pays and what. This is going to get crazy if it, if it goes down this path even further. So well, this is why things, it's, things are always evolving, right? Correct. And I think it's really important just to stay abreast of it. This is clearly one of those cases where there could be an evolution, whether you like the direction or not. Suzanne, I want to thank you very much for taking some time to educate us and our listeners on, uh, on what this case is about and the implications it may have on them. My pleasure, gentlemen. Have a wonderful day. You too. We've been joined by Susanna Popovic-Montag. She's managing partner of Hull & Hull LLP. Okay, well, listen, the legacy bucket's part of the overall lifestyle, right? Nobody wants to leave behind a fight as what their estate gift is. This is why it's important to have a team that knows about retirement and the transition of your wealth. They focus on this. They're an expert. They specialize in this. We want to talk to people about why these types of issues come up. Mm -hmm. And first of all, how do you bulletproof your retirement? And how do you deal with the other issues? We're going to have that session on our seminar Tuesday, December the 8th, 7 p.m., live online. Now, you need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. If you think your portfolio can't blow up as you draw income out of it, then stick around after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You know, before the break, Faisal, we talked a little bit about, or I teased a little bit about this, this segment. And I, I don't think that people understand necessarily... Um, how the rules of investing change when you move into retirement. They, I, I, I don't think many in our industry are explaining it to them either. I think you're right. I think you're right. Because we constantly come across um, people that we talk to that you know, ask the question, well, what, why are you guys different? What, you know, what, what's going on here? And, and there's one number one issue that we are trying to protect. Our structure and our discipline protects people against which is the fundamental change in the way investing should take place as you move into retirement and you need income. Let's go to the point of one of the biggest fears entering and going through retirement yeah. for, the, for every Canadian out there. Every single Canadian has this fear mm -hmm. at some point through their retirement. No matter how much money they have, really. Regardless, yeah. they could be a yeah. billionaire. Yeah. yeah. Will I run out of money? Mm -hmm. Strange to think you could be a billionaire and do that, right? Trust and, me, and we've, met, we've met some. Yeah, you can. You can. We've met some who said they're billionaires, mm -hmm. and they're yep. scared that they may run out of money. Mm -hmm. it's, not a, it's not an and asset some issue. Some have to had that happen. For yeah. sure. Yeah. It's not an asset issue. It's right. a spending issue. Right. Okay. So what we tried when we built our practice was, I don't want it to be a spending issue. Mm -hmm. I want it to be a protection issue. I want to make sure they're protected, right. and they get this freedom within boundaries where they can spend what they want in their lifestyle mm -hmm. without worrying about external factors right and one of the biggest issues that is not being talked about properly in our industry and i put this on us and our industry 
not on the client because mm-hmm. the client doesn't or the investor does not know this stuff. Right, it's our job to know. It's that. our job to know this and yeah. explain it to them. That's right. The concept of what's called sequence of returns. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave, I want you to kind of explain the sequence of returns because I think from when we do our our, our seminars mm-hmm. and stuff, you kind of go through the analogy and the issue of what sequence of returns is. Yeah. But I'd like you to kind of condense all the math into a few sentences that people can kind of get to. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. A few sentences <laughs> and and tell them the risk of what the sequence of returns is. Okay. So here's how I, I would try my best, and you beat me up along the way if I'm not doing a very good job. But if you, if you had a million dollars in a portfolio, okay, the math that people do is say, well, if I need $40,000 a year for my portfolio, I only need a 4% rate of return. Okay. And that math is true. But here's the problem, is what happens at some point if that portfolio is trading down? So you're going to have periods where it's trading at 4%. You're going to have periods where it's trading at minus 4%. Meaning your rate of return on your investments is 4%. That's right. 4%, positive 10, minus 10. Right. It can be all over the map. It can be all over the place. This is the sequence of returns. Now, if you're at a position where you have to draw out of the portfolio at a point when it's down in value... This is when mathematically your problem kicks in because your million dollars, correct? Let's say it it performed at four percent the first year and you got your forty grand, no issue. You got a million dollars at the start of year two, correct? And then it fell, it fell by four percent, and you've got nine hundred and sixty thousand dollars, but you still need to take forty thousand dollars out. You don't have a million bucks anymore on that four percent. So basically, when you're drawing on your bucket of money, yeah, your savings. And it's less in value because of the markets right. or whatever you're investing in. Right. You have less of an opportunity to recover or less of an opportunity for that money to last you for your entire lifetime, which yeah. is the number one fear that Canadians have right. in their retirement. That's right. So here, in comes in a solution, Dave. Mm. All you have to do is get a 4% dividend or yield mm-hmm. on your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Then you're fine. Well. Okay, let's that's go. Been the, that's the answer to that problem right. by many in our industry. Okay, so let's assume for a second that your dividend-paying companies, that there's no change in that dividend ever, okay? And remember, the dividend is at the discretion of the board of directors. We saw lots cut. But let's assume that doesn't happen. Correct. What happens if your spending needs went up? Well, I've been, I've been doing this for a very long time, Dave, mm-hmm. and I've never met somebody, never has there been one client of ours mm-hmm. Hundreds of clients that we have yep. that have gone through retirement or are going through retirement and have the exact same spending habits right. year over year over year over year. Yep. Let me give you a good example, right? Two good examples. Jeez, my, my child's lost his job or her job right now, and I need to help them out just temporarily, though, and I need 100000 bucks. I, okay. was, I was impacted by the hailstorm. Right. My insurance company's not going to cover all the difference uh, on the cost to fix this. The government's taking too long to give me some money, so I need $25,000 above my spending. It's a special anniversary, and we're going to take all of our kids and grandkids on a trip. Oh, my God. We can go on and on and on. On and on. Yeah. And, and here's the problem is that no one sets up the freedom within boundaries in your retirement. Right. I need to know what's the maximum that I can spend given my, my situation right now so I'm not going to run out of money before I pass and we, right. we pick a, a date like 90 years of age or 95. Or what's the least amount that I can spend that I'll leave everything behind for my beneficiaries in my estate. Anywhere in between those two parameters is freedom within boundaries. Right. And let me just finish the thought on the impact, right? So given all of those 
those lifestyle reasons why you may need more money on one year. What if you have to go to your million-dollar portfolio that's got a 4% dividend paying you $40,000 a year, and you have to sell some of that stock to get the money for that special trip, for helping out the child, for whatever the reason is, yeah. now you've got fewer, uh, you've got a smaller portfolio producing a smaller dividend that no longer meets the lifestyle. And needs. this would be the same thing if the GIC rates, guaranteed investment certificates, were offering 4%. Right. It doesn't matter the type of investment. Do not assume for the rest of your life you're going to be living on the exact same dollar as if it was a Canadian pension plan check. Right. Yeah. That's all you get. Yeah. This is your money. You mm. work so hard for it. And now you're going to be told by your financial advisor you can't spend more than what we have agreed upon five years ago when we set up this account? Is that the kind of retirement you envisioned? Yeah. I don't think anybody lives on the exact same dollar yeah. every single year, even when they're on a paycheck. No, they don't. They don't. Nobody does. Because we don't. We see it all the time. Life so changes. It's not reality. Change. When you do a retirement calculator, mm -hmm. a financial plan, that's a, that's a whole bunch of assumptions that nothing changes in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's but simply this, this, not true. The sequence and, of returns, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said it. It's a sort of a finance jargony term that we use. It, it, is, um, it is something you can It do. is the killer or yeah. the destruction of your retirement. Yeah. The sequence of return will kill your retirement if you don't plan it properly. And I want my, my peers in my industry, read up on it. Understand it. When you're doing work for clients who are transitioning to or living in retirement, either know this stuff and share it with them, or pass those clients on to a retirement transition specialist who knows what the heck they're doing. Because this is people's future that we're talking about. Yeah, so, so you want our industry to up their game. That's terrific. And I want, I want clients. I want real people. Um, I mean, our mandate is to educate people about this. Yeah. And I just want people to understand the impact that this can have, right? Yeah. I mean, I spend the first part of our, of our seminar going through, a, like, I can't do it justice on radio, but there's a whole set of slides to un so people can understand what the impact of this is, Here, right? Here's what I'd like to do, Dave. I'd like to challenge every listener on uh, uh, right now that if you can go to your advisor and ask them, how does the sequence of return impact my retirement? Just ask them that question. I don't care what answer you got. You can figure out from there. Send us a note. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Tell us you did this exercise. I'm going to give you a free copy of our book called Bulletproof Your Retirement. Yeah. Good, and that talks exactly about that issue and how to protect yourself. Absolutely. I'll give you that free copy. It's on Amazon right now, but you can, you can get it for free from us by just going to your advisor and saying, how does the sequence of return impact my retirement? Let us know that you did that and maybe even tell us what, what your advisor said. That'd be interesting to see. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so you know, we have to talk about there is a difference. I'll, you know, I hope what people take away from this, there's a difference in strategies required when you get to a point in your life that we typically call retirement, but it's a point when you're drawing. You need income to support a lifestyle. You need Correct. that income from your savings. This is the point in time that things fundamentally change, right? And we need, as I said, we need to educate people about that. People need to understand this so they can protect themselves and enjoy that lifestyle that they've envisioned. Absolutely. All right, we're going to talk about this even more in detail, how to bulletproof your retirement at our seminar on Tuesday. December the 8th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Well, listen, thank you very much for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. Faze and I look forward to chatting with you next week.
David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.